before we share in our scripture reading this morning, I think it's important to acknowledge a current event that has happened in, in New Mexico. If you have watched the news last night or this morning, you will have heard about the hot air balloon accident that took place in Albuquerque. Four people lost their lives and at least one is in critical condition. And so five people have lost their lives. So we want to take a minute to acknowledge that before we move on. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you in sadness and in grief, acknowledging the loss of life of our neighbors. And we pray comfort for those who mourn. We pray that your presence would be felt in the coming days. And we offer ourselves to be a part of that comfort and that peace in any way that we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Ruth. I will be reading verses 11 through 17 from chapter 1. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have those with you or look it up on your phone if you're using a Bible app. Or you can follow along on the screens above me. Or you can close your eyes and you can listen as I read from God's word. So hear now the word of God from Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you. Or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me. And more as well, if even death parts me from you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 45 miles. That's the distance that I drove just a couple of weeks ago from our home in El Paso to our new home in Las Cruces. I had a couple of kids with me, the youngest two, six times during that drive, six times during that short journey. Our five-year-old son asked me, are we in Las Cruces yet? Six times. 
The first time we had just merged onto I-10. So you can imagine it was a longer journey than might have been expected. It was a journey full of uncertainty. Right? This is different for us. It was a journey full of grief and also a journey full of hope. Well, 30 miles is the distance between Moab and Bethlehem. It's the distance that Naomi and her family traveled from their home and place of belonging looking for food. They were in the middle of a famine. It probably felt more like 60 miles because the terrain was quite rugged in places. And, of course, they didn't have the benefit of highways and moving trucks. So their journey took them 7 to 10 days on foot. And it was certainly a journey full of uncertainty, a lot of grief, and at least a little bit of hope. So many of you have traveled often, probably farther and longer than I have. And so you know that when we travel, journeys take planning, they take preparation. And even then, they don't always go according to plan. Sometimes we even find ourselves on journeys that we did not expect, we didn't choose Naomi knew something about that. As I said, her family traveled to Moab in search of food, but they made a life there. Her sons married and expanded their family that way. And we learn in five verses in this story, in just five verses, we learn that they made this journey, they started building a life, and then all the men in the family died. Now we know that death is a part of life. But so often it takes us by surprise, as we were just mentioning with our sisters and brothers in Albuquerque. It's an unexpected turn in the journey. And this is where we meet Naomi. She is in the shock of death. She is in the grips of grief. She is full of bitterness as she declares, the hand of the Lord is against me. Her life's journey has not gone as she has planned, and she's processing this new reality. And as she does, we see Naomi do something that we all tend to do as human beings. She's traveling miles and miles in her mind. We make journeys in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls, as well as with our bodies. I know the Felt Five, we have done that over the past couple of months as we've prepared to come here and join all of you. Augie, the five-year-old, his journey began with concern for his basic human needs. I think this was precipitated by the interesting dinners that we were having as I was combining ingredients in the pantry as we were planning to move one night he said, hey, mom, are there food stores in Las Cruces? <laughs> I said, yes, we will we'll make sure that you don't go hungry, Augie. Natalie is six. She's a year older, 13 months older than her brother. And her concern has been about her comfort and familiarity. What are we taking with us? She asked. Is my butterfly canopy bag going with us or my toys going with us? And we were, again, able to assure her that she would find her place in her new room. And, of course, Jason was more concerned about building community, helping us get settled, perhaps finding a new job in Las Cruces. And and I, your pastor, I have been concerned about whether I will do a good job. I know I'm going to work hard, but will I be the pastor that you need me to be, that we all need together at this point in the history of Morningstar? And so we've already taken quite the journey in our minds and in our hearts to be here with you today. 
and in the days to come as well. But our mental journey as a family has nothing on the mental journey that Naomi was taking. Even before she took one step home to Bethlehem, in her mind, the situation had already played out and God was to blame. God had abandoned her and she had no choice but to go back home, but she didn't have any hope. She wasn't looking forward to this journey. It didn't feel like moving forward, so she prepared to go alone. She tries to dismiss her daughters-in-law. She's already traveled the journey in her mind, and she knew that they did not need to go with her from her perspective. She sees nothing good for them coming out of this situation because she doubts the faithfulness of her God. And so she releases them from any obligation that they might have to her family. And to make her point, Naomi was a good Hebrew woman, right? So she points to the law of her people that would require surviving brothers to marry the widows of their dead brothers. This was required. It's how things worked. But of course, she had no more sons, and she knew that that wasn't an option. This was not an insignificant detail, because in that culture, women held value in one of two ways— in their purity while they lived in the house that belonged to their father, or in motherhood as they lived in the house that belonged to their husband. That is it. There was no third option, which meant that as soon as their husbands died, Orpah and Ruth would have been considered to be worthless. They would have been considered to be worthless. So Naomi sees only one option, which is to return to the home of their father, their fathers. So Orpah obeys. She takes that journey toward the familiar, and no one could blame her for that. That's where she could find the greatest chance of security. But Ruth, she chooses to make this journey to the unknown with a person that she loves deeply, embracing this God that she was still getting to know. A God she was learning to serve, not in spite of her trials, but because of them. And I'm sure she traveled many miles in her head, just as her companions did. But this is the difference. Ruth left room in that story for for what God was actually doing in that situation. Even if it didn't make sense to her just yet, it was quite the journey of uncertainty and grief, and hope. And it's marked with these now famous words, where you go, I will go. You may have heard these words before. They're often read at weddings, but they were uttered the first time from one woman to another, one woman to her mother-in-law, her mentor, her sister, her soul friend. This is a story of faithfulness. And it demonstrates that our own faithfulness is rooted in the faithfulness of God. And the truth is, we don't have to travel it alone. That's the gift that Ruth gave Naomi. The older woman, the woman who had shown deep faith for most of her life, had run out of hope at this point in the journey. But Ruth's hope was enough to fuel the journey for both of them, at least for a time. And Ruth's faithfulness plays a huge role in the redemption, not just of their family, but of the people of God as the story unfolds. 
Ruth becomes an important branch in the family tree of the Messiah of her new people. That's why we find her name listed along with the names of some other interesting women in the genealogy of Jesus. We often read that at Christmas time in our communities of faith, but it's something that we can celebrate in every season because what we see in Ruth's story is that the faithfulness of an individual makes a huge impact in the faithfulness of a community. And our faithfulness to each other in community highlights the faithfulness of God in the world. The God who is the source of our redemption. Now, redemption is restoring value to something or someone who is considered to be worthless, right? It's what the story of Ruth is all about. We find that word, that theme of redemption shared 20 times in 85 verses. It's quite the journey. It's a journey from despair to hope to faithfulness all the way to redemption. And we see this turning point in the journey. We see the despair turning to hope even before Ruth utters those words in verse 16, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. To be able to utter those words, she had to make the journey in her mind first. And we see that happening in verse 14 when the text tells us that Orpah left, understandably so, but Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. This is the same word that we find in Genesis 2 when we talk about new families being formed. People coming together, clinging to one another in hope and in trust to form a new family, to imagine a new future. When she clung to Naomi, that's when Ruth's hope turned to resolve. The resolve to be faithful And that's also when God's redemptive work in this situation began to be revealed in a new way. So it's the vow of Ruth that seals the deal, at least from a human perspective. It's a formal vow of solidarity. It's a vow and a commitment of love and loyalty over and above what is considered to be normal or expected. And it requires more than words. It requires commitment to the journey. So Ruth makes that commitment. She doesn't stumble across the path. She doesn't amble along it. She deliberately takes one step after another in this journey of faith with this God she was coming to know and a person that she loved very deeply. Love is an essential part of this journey after all. That's what my family has learned from Olivia Kay. You didn't think I forgot about her right, when I was listing everyone else. We have a, a third child. She is 19 months old. Her name is Olivia, and she has reminded us of the importance of love in the midst of a transitional journey because I'm sure that she noticed things were changing. I'm sure she noticed the boxes piling up. I'm sure she noticed the change of venue as we moved from one house to another. But she remained centered, happy, climbing up in our laps, our laps, laughing, giggling, playing. She has slept soundly in her new room from our very first night in Las Cruces because she is with her family. 
She's home, even though our address has changed. What is important has not changed. And so in the past several weeks, this sweet and feisty toddler, whom if you haven't met yet, she's here and you'll be able to meet her later. She's reminded us of this very same truth that we find in this novella, basically. We find this in this novella that is listed in our Old Testament among the law and the prophets and the chronicles of history and the poetry. And this is the truth. Where we go is not nearly as important as with whom. Where we go is not nearly as important as with whom because the journey, the journey has value apart from the destination. So here we are. The Felts Five. With all of you, you lovely, beautiful, faithful people of the Morning Star community, whether you are here right now in the sanctuary or worshiping online, this is where the points of our journey meet. This is where we carry on together. And perhaps it's not what you expected at this time, another pastoral transition. Perhaps you're still grieving, and that is certainly understandable. Perhaps you're still traveling some miles in your head wondering what I'm going to be like and what God has in store for Morningstar as we move forward. And these are fair questions because you've made some commitments too. You've promised to take on this mission of pointing to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. You've promised to be faithful in this congregation with your presence. Your prayers, your gifts, your service, and your witness. That's what it means to be a part of a community of faith like this one. These are vows of solidarity, of love, and of loyalty that actually go above and beyond what is considered to be normal and expected outside of the church. And they require more than words. They require dedication on the journey. Because this journey of following Jesus adds value to our life that we cannot find anywhere else. As we lean in to this experience of God's faithfulness, as we trust that the Holy Spirit is with us, as we cling to the hope that we have in Jesus, and we continually say with each step, where you go, God, I will go. Whether it's 30 miles or 45 miles or countless miles in our heads. So the truth is, it's really tempting in a time of transition at church, in our personal lives, and the church as a whole with the miles that are stretched out ahead of us. It's tempting to let this journey play out in our own minds and to skip a few steps. It's tempting to say that God has left us to our own devices or just quietly resign to the path of least resistance as Orpah did. It's understandable. But it's my hope and my prayer as we continue to walk these pathways in our minds that we will instead leave room for what God is actually doing in this situation, remembering that it is our God who has a history of making a way precisely when there seems to be no way. That was the gift of Ruth to Naomi. It was the gift of my family members to each other, and it's my gift to you. And it's a gift that you can give back to me and to each other and to the world. So this is my first invitation to you. 
I'm going to make one every week, but this is my first invitation to you, that we would cling to each other, that we would take time to get to know each other, to listen to each other, and to listen to what God is saying to us. I want to get to know you. I mean it. I will take that first step. I'm actually going to spend some time beginning this week making calls to each of you and writing notes to each of you, but you do not have to wait to hear from me. Give me a call. Send me an email. Come by the church office. We will talk with each other. We'll pray with each other. We'll seek guidance from God together. And as we do so, we will discern together where God would have us go. Amen? Amen.